Well, hello, church. I want to welcome everybody across our network to week three of Amen. In fact, let's do this. Can I get an Amen? There we go. That's what I'm talking about. So glad you're here because this is a journey for us where we've been looking at really the power and hope that comes from connecting with God through prayer. And it's been a pretty cool journey so far. Week one, we, we prayed through the Lord's Prayer in a, a specific prayer and worship expression, and it was powerful. And then last week, week two, we, we looked at our asking and our access and this week we're going to look at a, a different form of asking. But I think it might be helpful as we get started today to go back and review where we landed last week. And this will be a review for those of you that were here. But it, for those of you that missed it, it'll be helpful to understand the context and background. Uh, because here's what we understood out of last week. It, we, ha we have the ability to ask of God because we have access to God. Now that access comes through prayer. Now, the reality is, though, the full access to God only comes through Jesus. When we ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, he gives us access to be able to ask anything we want. And when we ask, we are actually positioned to be able to receive power from God, the power of God, into our life. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's pretty stinking cool. But we have that access through Jesus to ask to get that power. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. This is what God wants for us. But the deal is, he loves everyone. And everyone can pray to him and have access to him. So the reality is... Because of his great love for us, he gives access to all of us. The difference between this side and this side is that our ability to ask and our access to that power is very different. Because of God's love for us, we can approach him in prayer. But our ability to make a big ask and to have access to the power that raised Jesus is only available on this side. But he loves us, so we still can approach him in prayer. Now, here's what I want to do. You can, you can get online at heritageqc.com and you can get the whole background and story of this teaching from last week. But I want to jump into the kind of the deep end of the prayer conversation right out of the gate today. Because I think that we each have experienced in our prayer life, in our access to God and our asking, a space that's just complex. And it's the space that when we ask of God, he doesn't do what we expect. He doesn't answer the way we want, when we want, or how we want. That's a complex and difficult space. And what that does is it creates this space here whenever he does not respond the way we want, when we want, how we want, we end up here. And what we do in that space, the space between our asking and him moving, is important. It matters how we handle this space. And I want to spend some time today talking about what we do here and how we navigate that in a way where God's able to do all that he wants to do in and through us. But in order to understand that complexity, we have to go all the way back to the beginning. This is like all the way back to creation. And if you've studied uh, the beginning of God creating the heavens and the earth and creating humanity, you know that God created us, you and I, for fellowship with him. You know that. He has created us for fellowship with him, which ultimately means that he has the reality that we were created to walk with God in a garden. This is your first feeling if you want to use your note guide today as we go through our time of study together. We were created to walk with God in a garden. We were created for fellowship with him. That first started in the Garden of Eden. It was a beautiful place, wonderful place. There was no, no pain, no tears, no sorrow, but then sin entered the equation and everything changed. And we today, as we look around at the world around us, we see the evidence of that change in the brokenness 
in the pain, in the, in the things that shouldn't be in our world. We ultimately were, though, created to walk with God in a garden. However, we ultimately have a problem. Even though that fellowship, that conversation, that connection with him is innately in us, to walk with him in a garden, we have a problem. And that is that we yet wake up every day in a desert. We are created to walk with God in a garden, yet we wake up every day in a desert. We wake up in the desert of this world and this life. We live in a fallen world with many things that were never intended to be. But when sin entered the equation again, everything changed. And it is our daily dilemma. It is, it's true for us personally. It's true in our families. It's in our communities. It's in the world. We were created for something different. And, and, and this reality that that we are created to walk with God in a garden, but we wake up every day in a desert, creates a tension for us, a tension between what is and what should be, a tension between what we experience and what we're created for. That's a tension that we all face each day, and, and quite honestly, it stinks. It stinks. Can I get an amen to that? It does, man. Being created to walk in a garden with God, but wake up in a desert every day, it stinks. But listen... There is a way through it. We can, there's a way to find hope in suffering. And it's connected to how we pray. It's connected to our prayer life. So here's what I do. I want to jump back to a scripture we looked at last week that was written by Paul. It's in Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Here's what he said. He said, rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, and persevere in prayer. It's a weird set of statements, but it actually makes a lot of sense because we can have hope in suffering as we persevere in prayer. That's the reality that we can step into. And Paul was a dude who suffered a lot of pain and hardship in his life, yet he lived as a guy with great hope because of how he engaged in a prayer life that shaped the rest of his life. And that can be true for you and I if we understand and know how to engage with God in the desert. How we engage him between the asking and his moving. When we understand how to do that, we can actually walk with God in the desert. And he, he sustains and he provides for us in that context. Fundamentally, one of the reasons behind that is because prayer is our God-given path to praise. Prayer is our God-given path to praise. Our God-given path to What? To praise. To praise. That, that's what prayer is. When we pray, we encounter God. When we encounter God, we get to know him. And when we get to know him, we get to worship him. We want to worship him. Prayer is our God-given path to praise. Regardless of whatever prompted us to pray in the first place, it becomes and is a pathway to praise. Prayer is ultimately the path to worship. Regardless of what caused us to pray in the first place, it is the means by which we can get to a place where we offer praise, even in the pain. Eugene Peterson, he's an author and theologian. He's actually a guy who wrote the, the message translation of the Bible. He, he put this really succinctly, and I appreciate the way he said it. Here's what he said. He said, all true prayer pursued far enough becomes praise. Any prayer, no matter how desperate its origin... No matter how angry and fearful the experiences it traverses, ends up in praise. Prayer is our God-given path to praise. But I want you to keep something in mind. 
Praise, worship is, is not all about good feelings and gladness. It's not. Prayer is ultimately, excuse me, worship is ultimately a, a, this, this expression of authenticity and honesty before God. When we engage in praise, we engage in worship, it is the honest, authentic expression of us before God, which therefore then inherently means it includes every joy and every sorrow. So prayers of joy and prayers of sorrow are our God-given path to praise. When we understand how it works, when we understand how to navigate the space between asking and God moving, it's a path to praise. See, we, we can engage in prayer. We can, we can pray about anything, anytime, anywhere. Which means we can pray different types of prayers. We, we can pray a prayer for healing. We can pray a prayer of, of confession. We can pray a prayer of praise. But there is one particular type of prayer that allows us to walk with God while in worship, even in the desert. And it comes out of the concept of lament. Lament. Say that with me. Lament. It is not a French word. Lament. No. No, it is a word that captures a deep expression. In fact, it is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. That's the definition, the basic definition of lament. A passionate expression of grief or sorrow. When we couple lament into the context of prayer and we pray prayers of lament, they become the means by which we navigate the deserts and still worship. They become the means by which we endure and work through brokenness and betrayal and injustice. It's the space that we can process pain, even if it's emotional or physical. Prayers of lament give us the process and the context by which we can move through those season, seasons. It, it is a sacred sorrow. That's what lament is. And it positions us to ask God to deliver us from distress, from difficulty, from suffering, even from pain. Now, Although it is probably one of the less familiar expressions of prayer for us, it is actually more likely the most common kind of prayer we can be praying. Because it doesn't take us long to look around the world and see things that shouldn't be. Brokenness, things worthy of lament. And lament is a, is a prayer expression, a, a way of engaging God in prayer that positions us between the space of asking and moving. In fact, there's an entire book of the Bible that's named after the concept of lament, Lamentations. Now, I have to be honest with you, before we go further in the conversation, this was very difficult for me to prepare this message. One of the harder processes for me, and, and, and not because I'm unfamiliar with the lament concept. It's quite the opposite. I feel that most of my prayer life is marked by lament. Marked by the space between asking and God moving. The desert space still desiring to walk with God in, in worship and praise. And maybe even for some of you, you may not know it or not, maybe your prayer life has been marked by lament, but you just haven't understood the concept. Because we live in a day and age where things in this world just shouldn't be. Where there are tons of things that we can look at and say that is worthy of lament in, in our own lives and the lives of those around us. We don't have to look very far to find a reason for lament each of us can find them pretty readily. The question is what we do with that reason. The question is what we do in that space. How do we bring complaint before God? 
See, whenever we have the access through prayer to ask of God, but we get to this space where he doesn't do and respond the way we expected him to respond, when he, he doesn't act in the way we wanted, when we wanted, how we wanted, it puts us in this space right here, and this is the space of lament. The space between our asking and him moving, it's honest, it's raw, it's real, and it's messy. And you may understand the concept of lament, but I think many people don't feel they have the permission to engage God with lament, but we do. We actually do. And I want to look at a very specific example of this out of Scripture. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn to Psalm chapter 13. Psalm 13. And, you know, if you don't have a Bible, it's okay. The Scripture's going to be on the screen. It's in your note guide as well. But if you've got a Bible, I really encourage you to get into it and personally engage the Word right in front of you. There are lots of examples in Scripture about lament and what it means and, and what it is. And that's really one of the reasons I don't think our biggest challenge, we don't so much need to be taught lament, we need to be told it's okay. I think that's the bigger issue. I think many, many of us struggle with feeling, is it okay for me to lament to God? And it actually is. And, and this is one specific example written by David, King David. In fact, David wrote a lot of the Psalms. And, and this particular Psalm, he's written... Uh, to the director of music. So we know it's by David, to the director of music, and so that's the author and the audience. But let's take a look at what David wrote in this psalm of lament. He says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? David is someone who had a heart after God, whole heart after God, yet he's struggling in a season, in a moment, in a space between asking and God moving, where he's lamenting. He's identifying the thing that's in pain or thing that's wrong, the problem in his life. He says, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. He continues to just lay out the whole thing. He begins to ask of God. But then in verse 5, it all changes. Take a look at what he says. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. This is a powerful, clear example of lament. You know, some psalms are written as hymns, some are written for praise, but, but there are a lot that are written as laments. Nearly a third of all the psalms are lament psalms. They're complaint. Not complaining, but complaint. There's a difference. See, lamenting in, in a posture of prayer before the Lord is, is declaring a reality, but still mixing it with trust. It's not whining or blaming. It's ultimately asking. And most of the lament psalms end with a statement or declaration of confidence. And they position us with a means to process pain and frustration in our life without losing sight of God's character in it. When we're caught between the asking and the moving space. Lament is a tool that allows us not to lose sight of who he is. And, and Psalm 13 is a great example of it. It starts with David saying he's discouraged. There's despair in all of that. He's asking, how long, Lord? How long? 
But then he shifts to a place of, of trust and joy. But you have to understand something. He shifts there, but his circumstances haven't changed. He's able to move to that space even though his circumstances haven't changed. What changed was his mindset. What changed was his focus. He's gone from suffering to joy. He's gone from pain to praise. He's gone from desolation to delight. That's what the space of lament offers. Most of the, the spaces, when most, most laments come out of our inability to understand our situation. We just don't understand the situation that often prompts lament. And it can challenge our trust in God and in others. It can even create this space where we feel like God is absent or even against us. Because in the space of lament, what we actually do, so we get up to this point of asking, and we're caught between what we've asked and God not moving in it. What we do in that space is that we're actually asking why and how. And we do that as we bring the what of our life to the who that created us. That is the space of lament. And you have to understand, the space of lament is not inherently because the who hasn't yet moved. It's not because he hasn't intervened. The primary reason for the space of lament is the broken world we live in. It's the complexity we live in as a fallen world. The primary reason for the lament space is not his inactivity. It's the context we live in, waking up in the desert every day. When we ask the why and the how, as we bring our what to the who, this is not an easy space for many of us. But it is a space marked by beauty and brokenness. The complexity of our world creates the primary context. When we bring our what to the who, we ask why and how, but we don't necessarily get that answer. If you've ever sat with a young child, and that child has asked you a question and you've answered it, and then they start the sequence of, but why? And you answer that, but why? And then, but why, but why, but why? Raise your hand, Bentendorf, can you want you guys get them up? If you've ever been in that space, oh yeah, it's cute for the first three. <laughs> then it's annoying, and then it's frustrating. Okay, listen, but why, but why, but why is not lament. That's curiosity. If you take the same child, you put them in a car, and you're on a long road trip, what do they ask? How long till we get there, right? How long? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Uh-huh. Cute for the first two. Then it's annoying after that. Frustrating. That's not lament either. That's impatience. Lament is different. Where we're asking why, still trusting. We're declaring a what, taking it to the who, still trusting. It's, it's not just asking why and how come. It's bringing the what to the who and living in that space between the asking and the moving. And again, I don't think it takes very long for us to find reasons for lament. We don't have to create them, we don't have to make them up, they're there. We live in a world marked by many reasons to lament. But what most of us need is just the, the knowledge and permission to engage it. The, to embrace the freedom to lament to God. I think likely we've all reached a point where we've asked why. We've asked how come or how long. We even felt like maybe God has even abandoned us or neglected us. 
Maybe he waited so long to answer something you thought he should have answered way back here. It, it, that's the space of lament. That's the space where we bring our what to a who and sit. Prayer is our God-given path to praise. So understand something. Lament is a form of prayer. So lament is a means of moving to worship. Lament is an expression of prayer. Prayer is the pathway to praise. And, and lament, the space between asking and moving, is often the most direct route to experiencing God on a new level, even in the suffering, especially in the suffering, which ultimately then makes praise is not the opposite of lament. Praise is inherently connected and interwoven into lament. It's not separated from it. The opposite of lament is not praise. It's denial. The opposite of lament is not Praise. It, it, praise is woven into, it's inherently part of the lament journey. The opposite of lament is denial. It's, the, it's saying, it's ignoring it. It's, it's denying its existence. It's trying to hide it and denying, denying the pain, denying ourselves the privilege of grieving in lament does not make the pain go away. In fact, denial of pain, denial of the problem, denial of the injustice only makes it worse. It only complicates it further. And then it obscures our ability to see God at work in the desert, to see his character manifested in the complexity of the space between our asking and him moving. Because he works good from bad. He brings beauty from ashes. And our trouble, our, our pain, man, that stuff does not change who God is. But I understand it can certainly cause us to lose sight of who he is. Our view of him can shift in the complexity of our lives, especially in the pain or the loss or the betrayal. And it's not easy to keep from spiraling into impatience or even into anger when God delays, especially when it's painful. But the truth is, God doesn't save us from hardship. God doesn't always save us from hardship. Jesus said we would have trouble in this world. God doesn't always prevent hardship in our life. He doesn't always remove it. He doesn't necessarily even readily rescue us from it. He doesn't always save us from hardship, but he always seeks to save us through it. Through it. Not from it, but through it. Do you see the difference? Catch the nuance. He always seeks to save us through, not necessarily from. That's a, one of the complexities of, of sitting in the lament space. That's the space of lament. See, when we come to God in a posture of asking, and we get caught between the asking and the moving, we enter the lament space. And the reality is we're bringing our what? Our pain, our problem, our situation to the who, the one who created us. But in that space, there is no guarantee, and most often not, a why or a how. We enter into a space without answers to our questions. We enter into a space where he wants to give himself as the answer. But this is a hard space for us to go, especially as Americans. I mean, the, the idea of lament is to say, here's the problem, here's the what, Lord, and to put it out there in awkwardness and, and silence and stillness. 
And we as Americans, we hate that. We find a problem, we want to overcome it. We want to fix it. We want to resolve it and get going. And it's challenging culturally for us to sit in the lament space. But when we bring the what and we place it before the who, we're actually positioned to sit in a stillness and a trust, even when we don't get a why and a how. And that's where God begins to move. Because lament sits in the what, asking for a why without getting it. That's uncomfortable. But if we're going to navigate through it, it will require trust. Declaring the problem but mixing it with trust in his character makes all the difference. Prayers of lament, prayers of complaint can can actually be prayers of faith. Jesus modeled that for us. They represent refusal to let go of God, even in circumstances where he feels absent. And there are many biblical figures who got frustrated and angry with God and stepped into lament because it is a space to wait upon the Lord without an opportunity or ability to fix it. It's a space to wait upon God, to sit in stillness, to be honest. The lament space, man, it's a space for absolute honesty before a God who my faith tells me I can trust. Trusting in his character. It's how we wait between asking and moving and how we keep the door open relationally with God. Because in that space between asking and moving in the desert space, we can get bitter. We can start to close relationship with God and move off and drift away from him rather than sit clinging to him, desperate for him to show up in it. That's the posture of lament. Our pain, man, it can cloud our view of God, but understand it doesn't change who he is. That's why lament is a space to sit more than walk. And he doesn't always seek to save us from suffering, but through it. He doesn't always seek to protect us from hardship, but always seeks to lead us through it, protect us in it. He doesn't seek to keep us or lead us from hardship. He doesn't always do that, but he always seeks to keep and lead us through it. To transform us. So he can pour his power into us in a new way because we're more like his son Jesus in that space. And as hard as it may be, the reality is God may not seek to rescue you from the moment you're in, from the sorrow you're in today. But you can be sure he seeks to rescue you through it if you will allow him for your good, for your refining, for the deepening of your soul. But that all starts on the left side of the chart That only happens when when Jesus is the one giving us access, when Jesus positions us to ask, and we can receive power from God. To navigate the lament space requires us to have relationship with God through Jesus. We cannot navigate it fully on the other side. Yes, God loves us enough to engage with us, but his power is made available through his son. And if you've not taken the step to say, God, I want relationship with you and I receive Jesus as Savior and Lord and I have my access now through him to be able to ask to receive power from you. If you haven't done that, I encourage you to do it right now. There's some instructions in your note guide, some steps in a prayer that allow you to move from the right side of the chart to the left side of the chart and begin to experience his power at work even in the lament space. But you have to make that decision. And even when you do make that decision, he still leads us 
through seasons of desert where he's trying to work something new in us. Even Paul, the missionary and church planter guy, he had a season like this. He specifically had something he called a thorn in his flesh where he asked God to remove it. We don't exactly know what that was, but it clearly had an element of pain, an element of loss, some difficulty. And, and he wrote about this thing specifically about how he engaged in the asking, in that space between asking and moving with God on this. Here's what he said. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He's talking about the power of God moving in the complexity above his asking in that space, saying, man, I've been asking, but I'm waiting on him. It's his power that I want to be upon me. He went on to say, for the sake of Christ then, I'm content with weakness insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. I'm content in the in-between space. I'm okay to sit in this space because I trust. And then he goes on to say, for when I am weak, then I am strong. This is powerful truth for us as we navigate our own thorns of the flesh, our own calamities, our own weaknesses, our own hardships, the things we suffer. It is essential because God provides a way. The way is Jesus. And if God has put you in the circumstance you're in right now, he is more than able to lead you through it. But he's trying to do it by giving himself as the solution. More than an answer, he's trying to give you and I himself in the space of lament. Saying, it's me. In me is where you find peace. In me is where you find power. The answers can come, but we have to let go of the answers and be willing to embrace the who. We need to embrace him in that space. And that's what Paul was doing what he just articulated because he is the solution you know it was a, a number of years ago that I experienced some deep sorrow in my life and um, I needed I needed space to process that I needed space to lament that this is well before I came to the Quad Cities and uh, the people around me were gracious enough to give me some time and space and I actually grabbed my family. We left the country. We went to Central America and we found some obscure little spot just off the coast of Belize. It was affordable. We lived in a village and great, great space to lament, great scuba diving, which I absolutely love. It was, it was a phenomenal season for us, not only as a family, but as a space to process what we were going through and a space to lament. It was important for us to navigate that season with that. But one of the things we discovered while we were there is this tree known as the Chechem tree, or more commonly known as the poisonwood tree, or black poisonwood. It's common in Central America, and it looks kind of innocuous, except for the name, obviously. But its black sap, when it gets on your skin, creates a severe burning rash, worse than any poison ivy could experience. And here in North America, we get something like that. We wash it and put calamine lotion on it. And that's just taking care of the symptom on the top. It doesn't do anything to the chemical process happening under the surface. In fact, in Central America, there's something like 11 different plants or trees that are poisonous to the touch, and, and this is one of them. But there is only one tree in Central America where the antidote always grows next to the tree itself. It, it's the poisonwood tree that has that. And it's the chaka tree, also known as the gumbo limbo. <laughs> say that with me, gumbo limbo. That's fun to say. But the gumbo limbo tree always grows in proximity to the poisonwood tree. Whenever you find a poisonwood tree, just look around, you will find a gumbo limbo tree because within the gumbo limbo tree is the antidote to the toxic poison of the poisonwood tree. It's fascinating to me. 
that our God would create the antidote in proximity to the source of the poison. Now, I share that with you, not only because it's cool, but because just as God positions the gumbo limbo to be found in proximity to the poison wood, the antidote to be readily available near the poison, he's done the same thing with sorrow. In fact, he has provided a readily accessible way for us to process pain and sorrow. He invites it. He has given us a very specific means by which we can approach through brokenness and through pain. It's through the doorway of lament, but the antidote is worship. Worship is the antidote for sorrow. Worship is the antidote for sorrow. As prayer is the path to praise, worship is the antidote for sorrow. So it's praise for pain. It's petition and asking for problems. And like the gumbo limbo tree is always close by, worship is the antidote for sorrow. And in your suffering, you do not have to continue to focus on your circumstances or what is or is not. You don't even have to focus on what God is or is not doing. You and I have the opportunity to focus on Him to fix our eyes on him, to look to him in worship. Worship in the problem. Praise him in the pain. That's how we navigate the difficulty of this space. David did this. He expressed it in Psalm 13. He reached a point where he can move from sorrow to praise. As he leaned into worship, and you may feel, like many, that like brokenness and pain should have no part in this world. And I get that, and I don't disagree with you. But the problem is, it, there is. It exists. It's one of the facts of life, and there's really no reason to rail against it. Especially when we understand that most of the sorrow God allows in our life is for the deepening of our soul. It's for our good. Sometimes it's about learning, but often I think it's about unlearning things that we picked up along the way, things about him. It's about decluttering our life and our view of him. It's about our walk with him and about refining. And hear me, sorrow can strip away shallowness in life. We all know that. But it doesn't always necessarily make us better unless we allow it to take us deeper, unless we allow ourselves to engage in that space in a posture of dependence out of a heart of worship. Suffering can either make us more selfish or it can break us from it. And it depends on how we respond. And I got to tell you, it is not hard to recognize those who have been through the crucible of sorrow and have gone deeper with God because they live differently. David was one example. Another example was a guy in the Old Testament named Job. And he, after nearly losing everything, in fact, losing much, uh, everything in his life, reached a point in, in Job 13. This is what he said. He said, though he, he's talking about God, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He's saying, I still hope. I still trust. I still worship. Job refused to let go of God. And the book that bears his name and tells his story became and became a primer of lament as it precedes the Psalms. And worship is the antidote to sorrow. Look, if, if your lamentable circumstances just, see, just seem to keep going on and on and on and you're asking God why and how come and maybe you're even demanding of God some kind of explanation, I want to encourage you to stop. 
and to be willing to have the courage to sit in the space of lament. Asking and declaring, but trusting. The reality is, whatever you're facing in life right now, God has either allowed it or orchestrated it. And to rail against him and to rail against that, it, missing the point, the reality is, if he's allowing or orchestrating it, it means he's not done. In some ways, maybe not done slaying you yet. Not done allowing the suffering and the pain and the difficulty to create a space where your level of dependence changes, where your posture changes, where you understand him at a new level and where his strength is made perfect in your weakness. It could just simply be he's not done slaying you yet. Like it or not. But if you would just engage in the antidote, you will find relief. If you will engage him in worship, worship him in the problem and praise him in the pain, you will find him begin to do a new thing in a space that is both beautiful and broken. So what? Well, lament is not about coping, but overcoming. It's not a coping mechanism to deal with the problem. It positions us to overcome. And quite honestly, there are times in life where we've got nothing left to do but just lay hold of Jesus and make sure that we maintain an intimate relationship with him and make sure nothing interferes with that. That's often the lament space reality, just to hold on to him because we have no other option in that space. It's in that space that he begins to work and move and, and prayer is the key for us to be able to do that because prayer changes us. You may have heard people say prayer changes things and I agree with that in part, but I think more often than not, prayer changes us. It's God wanting to change us so he can work change through us and, and, and lament provides a specific way to pray through trouble and through pain and things that are wrong in this world for him to move. It's not simply a space for us to persuade him to do what we want. It's actually a space for us to be changed so that he can bring his purpose through us the way he wants, which then therefore makes it often a space of release, a space where we release our pain, we release the problem, we release our plan, we release our preferences. It's a space of release. And I want to create a space for you and I to engage in that today. In fact, somewhere nearby, you'll find a card that looks like this, three by five card. Just reach out in your seat back, grab one, pull it out. I want you to just put it in your hands for a moment. If you don't have one of these, any piece of paper will work across our campuses. Listen, in a few moments, we're gonna have an opportunity to engage in a posture of lament, a place to declare, a place to, to put it out there before God in between the asking and the moving, to lament it, but ultimately to release it, to sit in a posture of trust with him, and I want to encourage you to begin praying now. What is the thing that God wants you to write in this space where you lament it, but then you release it? We can do that. That's what the this, this space of lament provides for us. Here's some specific encouragement out of the book of Hebrews. We find these words that therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Our time of need, the space between asking and moving. Listen. When we come to God through Jesus, we can ask whatever we want and we are positioned for the power of God to be brought to bear in our life. When that space is separated with a season, 
When the timing of God doesn't line up to the timing we have, we end up in a space where we can get bitter or we can get better. And we only get better when we sit in a posture of lament. When we sit in the awkwardness of declaring what's broken, declaring the pain, but still trusting in a God who loves and knows. And if you today are experiencing a pain, an unresolved reality, this is the space I want to invite you into. You cannot get here and experience his power if you are not living on this side of the chart. It comes through Jesus. It's, it's the, he is our great high priest. We can find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need, but it is through our ability to approach through Jesus. And if you've not made that decision, I encourage you to do it now. If you have, I encourage you to live fully into this reality of bringing your what to the who who created you. Not necessarily demanding a why or a how, but just trusting in who he is. You know, I actually find that there's often two conditions or requirements for God's power to be brought to bear in a context like this. The first is timing. It's really not something we get to control. He's God, we're not, he won't be rushed. So the timing that God brings into this is often one of the more difficult things. It, it creates the space to begin with, his timing versus ours. But the other condition is a posture, and it's the posture of lament, honest, real, and raw, but being willing to trust. Experiencing the pain, but not losing sight of his character in it. And I think often he's waiting for us to assume the posture of brokenness and submission and dependence on him before he brings the power to bear. So today, right now, is an opportunity for you to engage in a posture with him, a posture of lament over whatever the what of your life is. And I encourage you to lean into it because lament is for now. We will lament for deliverance next, but we get to praise him through this whole process. So as we create a space, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna step back into worship. I wanna encourage you to use this entire space for praise and worship, but be willing to sit and lament over the thing, over the what that you need to bring to the who. And each of the campus pastors will talk about what to do with the card in a few moments, but would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that in the complexity of this world with lots of difficult, broken things, with hardship, with pain, Lots of questions, God. I am so grateful that even in the midst of that, you, your strength is made perfect in our weakness. But even in our, our frustration, even in our, our disappointment, Lord, you show up and you receive our lament. And Lord, you bring glory to yourself even through that as we sit in stillness before you, as we wait upon you, as we trust you even when we don't understand. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters as they process their, their what, that pain, that problem, that betrayal, that issue, Lord, I pray that you would begin to speak to them about it and they would be able to lament to you, but ultimately release it, Lord. Release it to you. They'd sit in that space and waiting upon you for you to bring your power, but more than your power, God, just your presence. Because I understand often you just want to give us yourself more than the answers to the questions we have. So in these next few moments across our network, Lord, may you move mightily and powerfully and may you allow us to see you in new ways. And may we, may we find peace, may we be content, regardless of circumstances, because we have seen you and we've experienced you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.